Winter was here, and so was our season one rewatch of Game of Thrones, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions from season one of Game of Thrones here on the Game of Thrones post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who have not lost their heads through all of season one. I'm Rob Sistner, back with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am doing well. Very happy that my head is still on my shoulders. My mind, I cannot vouch for, uh, but my head is still intact indeed. Okay, so we have a very special episode and, you know, holiday week here in the first time through of the rewatch. If you are listening to this in real time, Thanksgiving week here in the United States. So it's a nice break to sit down with all of the families of the Seven Kingdoms and give thanks to this first season, this first wonderful season of Game of Thrones and open up the feedback bag of all the questions that we got here through 10 weeks of our rewatch. Yeah, man, I am looking forward to Thanksgiving very much. I plan on just housing the bacon burned black, some of those little fish, some bread and a, and a dark beer to wash it all down. That's my Thanksgiving feast that I've got lined up. Yeah. Tyrion's giving for you. Yeah. Tea day, man. Tea yeah. day. All right. Yeah. So I'm uh, very excited about that. And of course, uh, we have one eye on the past, one eye moving forward, uh, the third eye looking God knows where. But we will <laughs> yeah. be probably in full on spoiler mode. So if you are somebody who has been enjoying the spoiler free section of this podcast, uh, just you can just go on to season two, episode one. Enjoy that. Take your time. Save, savor it. Maybe watch it twice, and then we'll be back say, next twice. week. Yeah, yeah. Twice sounds like a great plan. No, watch it twice. I think this is going to be a spoiler-filled feedback show. One thing that I will say uh, before we get into any of that, so this is still safe, is I've just been kind of mulling over the concept of the spoiler-free and the spoiler-filled sections. We had a little bit of feedback this week from somebody who posted on uh, PostalRecaps.com about how. Maybe a couple of spoilers slipped into the non-spoilers part of this last podcast. Frankly, I I don't recall that. And I think that you and I have been mm-hmm. really trying to, to keep a, a tight leash on all of that. But probably one or two things are going to slip uh, along the way here. Um, I think that there's been a little bit of a question of how much we should be doing the spoiler-free versus the spoiler-filled. And thinking that through a little bit more, Rob, you and I started podcasting about Game of Thrones. Do you remember when? Yes, it was uh, we. It was uh, the spring of 2014, and we were headed into season four of Game of Thrones, and we went back and watched all of season three i think basically the 10 episodes of season three like starting 10 days before the season four premiere so season two is actually the only season of game of thrones you and i have never podcasted about at this point right Uh, we, we we have done that spoiler filled season three podcast where all of those podcasts were done from the perspective of having seen all the way through season three uh so There's 20 episodes of Game of Thrones that you and I have not tackled from a spoiler free perspective, because when we started watching, when we started podcasting with season four, clearly we we didn't know what was ahead. So all of those podcasts are totally safe to listen to for people who are watching Game of Thrones for the first time. So I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to mark the spoiler free section for death here, Rob. I think we've got 20 more spoiler free sections left. And when we get to season four, I think it's going to be all spoiler filled all the time. 
Okay, that's fine. <laughs> there. How, how does that sound? How does that sound? Sounds I mean, I fine know you, for me. Usually, Game of Thrones, like it, it's built on the plot twists of like not expecting when something is about to die. But you know, for the sake of you know your planning purposes, we're letting you know that the spoiler filled, the spoiler free section will die in twenty. Right. And maybe we could like make some sort of a page for people on postshowrecaps.com where it's like, hey, are you watching Game of Thrones for the first time? Like, here are a list of podcasts, and then have the first three seasons from Winter Was Here followed by the initial recap cap from each of the episodes in the real time i love it i think that that's the move i think that's the way to go i do love the spoiler free stuff and i think it also helps us kind of reset where we are in the story especially for people who are listening to this podcast and maybe aren't watching along right. uh, as they are listening to this and they're just like kind of getting the refresher so i think it does like reset the table but we can do that in a spoiler filled context as well so once we hit season four that's exactly what we're gonna do right i always feel like that maybe there are people uh, who may not be watching along with us i think that's very presumptive on our part to assume that everybody who's listening to this is rewatching the episode. So I do think that the spoiler free section does give us a chance to sort of like reset what happened in the episode as a refresher. But uh, I definitely uh, I'm on board with your plan. Okay, so you guys tell us what you think of the plan. I think it's a good plan. I plan to stick to the plan unless we hear a overwhelming amount of no, don't don't do that. But I think that we've got a I think it's a it's a happy compromise for everybody. Good. Glad we uh, figured that out. All right. So let's then take a look back at this uh, first season, these first 10 episodes of Game of Thrones. Where do you want to start this discussion? Well, I guess, you know, once again, we are now officially in completely spoiler filled territory. So if that wasn't clear, get out now. This Ned is a bad Stark place is for dead. you. He's super dead. He's super dead. Lots of other people we have met along the way in season one are also dead through seven seasons of Game of Thrones. And we will identify those people as we talk about this further. Uh, but I think just kind of speaking broadly and just like kind of like really taking stock of where we are 10 episodes into our rewatch. How are you feeling? Like, what are your ultimate takeaways from season? one like broad strokes what are you thinking about game of thrones as we've rewatched this first season in the context of everything we know with only six episodes still to air in game of thrones history i love season one of game of thrones because to me it's just it's so tight that the storytelling is just you know where we are going to become more and more sprawling and you know certainly in the books even more so than the tv show the like much like twitter we will expand to 280 characters soon in the (laughs) game of thrones universe but at this point it's just it's still manageable you know you have a good sense of like all of the characters all of the motivations, the storytelling is tight. You know, are, are there, you know, some discrepancies, you know, with the, you know, one person is in one place here and another place in the next episode? Sure. But I just think that it is just all, uh, you know, everything has a, a purpose and a point and there's not a ton of stuff that we're saying like, wait, where was that going? Why did we spend so much time on that? It just is the, I think tight is the, best word I could use to describe it. Yeah, as Tuco likes to say, tight, 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 I mm-hmm. think is definitely the way to describe uh, tight win Lannister uh, of season one of Game of Thrones. I think that's right. And I think it's interesting when you juxtapose that with season seven of Game of Thrones, which is also uh, a somewhat streamlined season of Game of Thrones, at least in theory, where you're getting a lot more character crossover. You're getting to see, you know, Jon Snow and Daenerys's story are interlocking for the first time. Tyrion and Jon are getting to hang out together for the very first 
first time in a long time in season seven. Uh, people are moving really quickly all over the board in season seven, much like they are in season one of Game of Thrones. But I don't know what it is. I don't know what to assign it to. And I'd be curious for your theory on this is like, why aren't we mad at like season one's travel by map? But we're mad about season seven's travel by map, right? Like, why are we why are we annoyed or frustrated as a fandom? I don't mean necessarily you and I completely annoyed by it, but just like, why are people rubbed wrong by the fact that season seven has this sprawling, moving too quickly sort of sense of momentum when season one kind of has the same thing, right? Well, I would say that in my mind, I think that the middle seasons sort of established of how like the distances between things. Whereas if you were a book reader and you were sort of like very familiar with the map of Westeros, you sort of knew, but I think it sort of becomes a thing in, you know, seasons two, three, four, where we see characters on these really long journeys to get places, whether it's like Arya and the Hound are spending an entire season trying to, you know, uh, get from one place to another. And we see, you know, Danny trekking all the way through the Red Waste coming up in this next season. Like, you start to really get a sense of, okay, it's very far away from this place. Like, Bran is like on his way to go to uh, find the Three-Eyed Raven for a season and a half. So, that becomes a thing. We didn't know it then, but then all of a sudden, season seven, it stopped being a thing. Right, right. So you think it's that the the we didn't know it at the time in season one, the middle seasons really start to fill that out. And by the time we get to season seven and the rules are kind of regressing to season one rules, it's kind of like, well, we just had like this vast majority of Game of Thrones where one of the hooks of it was like things are very hard to accomplish because things are very far away from each other. And suddenly those rules don't apply anymore. I think that's an interesting theory. And also in season one, I think that it's not exactly exactly clear the timeline of like how long uh, you know things are going on between uh, events necessarily and there's like maybe some time jumps that are seem bigger between episodes and i don't think we're having that in season seven yeah that's probably true uh yeah i mean again like i i think i think also it's it really is uh it's really i think a big part of it is that season seven is shorter uh i really i really do think that game of thrones didn't need to wrap up in 13 episodes starting with season seven like i really i really do regret that uh that the show doesn't have its final two seasons at 10 episodes a pop i think that there was still so much more room to play around with and like really deepen the relationships between John and Danny or like getting some of those moments where maybe with, you know, 10 episodes in season seven, you can imagine that Varys and Littlefinger could have a final scene together or something like that. And I think that they trade in, um, you know, uh, the number of episodes so that they can have bigger budget scale. And ironically enough, I think that penultimate episode of season seven, where uh, the dragons fly north beyond the wall for the first time and meet the White Walkers for the first time might be um, if not the most maligned episode of season seven, I think certainly the most maligned penultimate episode of any Game of Thrones season ever. Uh, so I just think it's interesting that that's what they traded and that's the result that they got. I don't know. That's kind of neither here nor there. But I, I just think that the the comparisons between season one and season seven are kind of fascinating because in terms of um, the way that characters bob and weave out of each other's story, I think they're the most similar to uh, seasons. At least season seven is the most similar to season one in that regard. Um, but I loved going back and seeing Game of Thrones at a simple 
before time and getting to follow the story of Ned Stark, knowing that it was going to be a short lived affair, I think was really, really fun. Sean Bean's great, man. Like Sean Bean being on Game of Thrones, that was so much fun to have him there. And just the way that he gets killed off and it's really just so tragic and it really spawns everything that comes after that. Getting to watch that story play out and knowing that it was like a, a really slow motion car wreck. I think it's a it's a really compelling thing to watch season one when you know what the trick is. Yeah, especially after all of the revelations which came out in season six and season seven about what Ned Stark knew when right. and everything right. with uh, Jon Snow. I think that this really is a show that does reward the rewatch. Do you feel like that we uh, uh, see Ned's actions in a different light here after this season one rewatch? I think that there were a few moments that certainly gained new power, right? When, like, when Ned was really mad about Robert's stance on uh, on Daenerys Targaryen and wanting to assassinate the Targaryen girl, and she's just a girl. And like, for the first watch through, I think you think that it's just Ned is, you know, clinging to his honor and being like, she, you know, she's just a child, she's just a teenager. Why are you hung up on that? Nothing is going to happen. Why are you being such a coward and trying to kill this harmless human being? But I think it has that added extra weight when you know that he knows that the boy he's been raising as his bastard son is really his Targaryen nephew. Uh, so I think that that has some some enhanced weight when you're watching Ned's actions. And then we talked about it a lot in terms of like the alternate you know paths that Ned could have traveled if he you know if he truly did know John's lineage, could he have you know hoisted you know John and and like had him be somebody who could have um, taken on the throne in light of Robert's death? Like, could he have made a different move? Uh, I think we've talked that through. I think it would have, it's, it's a really fascinating alternate Game of Thrones timeline to consider the one where Ned Stark successfully takes the black, goes back north, and maybe tries to start something with Jon Snow as their king. Uh, but that never happens. I look forward to reading George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones What If series. Like, I think that that will be, that will be a very fun series of novellas that comes out before the winds of winter ever hits shelves okay so let's get into some of the feedback josh where do you want to begin well, I think it's interesting that we're talking about Ned Stark and things kind of beginning and ending with Ned Stark here in season one, uh, where we really want to track like how um, how does Game of Thrones as we know it like what is the what is the origin point what is the Big Bang theory with Game of Thrones uh, as as far as and you know I'm not talking about like Young Eddard as a, <laughs> as, a as a pitch though I think uh, that would be a great show as well uh, but this is Sean Bean to do the voiceover <laughs> yeah I think it'd be really good. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that this this is interesting. We, you know, we talk a lot about how Ned's investigation is what gets things going, and you know, really tightens the noose around the Lannisters. And uh, you know, Joffrey killing Ned is what inspires the War for the Five Kings to like really go into overdrive. Um, but is Ned really patient zero when it comes to the big political climate of Westeros over the next couple of seasons? And this was from Patty Renshaw, who thinks that it's somebody else that we should be looking at. Patty says. I agree with you on Ned being very important for the story arc of Game of Thrones, but my theory is that it's John Aaron's death that really starts it all, because he's the first one that was first inquiring on the births of Robert's bastards. Plus, without him getting murdered, Robert would never have come to visit Ned, and Bran wouldn't have been pushed off the tower by Jaime, and Ned would never be Hand of the King. What are your thoughts on this? So what do you think, Rob? Should we be um, 
are we, are we victim blaming if we're blaming everything on John Aaron or is this an appropriate thing to, to pin this one on him? Is this all John Aaron's fault? Everything that's happening on Game of Thrones. This man we see with eyes on his eyes at the, the very start yes. of Game of Thrones. Is this all this guy's fault? Well, there's two things that I think are really going on. And I don't know if I have still been able to reconcile them. There is the murder of John Aaron, which is this inciting incident for the events of Game of Thrones. But then there is this Lannister power play that comes up where they decide to, okay, we're going to murder King Robert, which ultimately ends up with Joffrey becoming the king and then him ordering the death of Ned Stark. And then you have Tywin's forces really trying to, uh, you know, uh, wreak havoc around the uh, Riverlands and or wreak, wreak havoc. Wreak havoc, sure. So to me, I I still have not been able to wrap my head around that did Littlefinger kill or have Lysa kill John Aaron. And he knew all of this hell was going to break loose. And this was all part of the plan. Or did things sort of spin out of control on Littlefinger? What were the Lannisters planning had Littlefinger not bumped off John Arryn? I mean, was Littlefinger involved at all? It doesn't seem like that the Lannisters knew quite what Littlefinger was doing. I don't think that he was put up to, hey, John Arryn's investigating what's going on between Cersei and Jaime. Littlefinger, could you do us a solid and and, you know, have Lysa take out John Aaron and then, you know, tell the Starks that it was us. So it to me, I, I still don't have any sort of clarity as to, you know, were these two things going on simultaneously or like how intertwined the plots were? Yeah, I don't think that the Lannisters were involved in killing John Aaron. And I think like it's probably like, um, you know, John Aaron is like the the, you know, the investigator into this great Lannister conspiracy that he's trying to unravel. And the noose is tightening around the Lannisters. And then like out of nowhere, um, you know, just like this chaotic event occurs where John Aaron is suddenly dead. And it's kind of like they're breathing a little bit easier after that. But I think that they're unaffected affiliated with the death. And I do think that it's all on Littlefinger, who is probably seeing like this is going to look extra suspicious if John Aaron is killed in the midst of this investigation that I'm now going to be able to like dangle in front of Ned Stark, like, uh, you know, like uh, like a, a, a fresh supply of meat in front of a hungry bear. Uh, like, I think that that is the move. And I think that, you know, as Game of Thrones moves on and tries to kind of um, deepen the Lannisters as characters. You know, and kind of really, you know, the the first season really does present them in this very nefarious way where they are really just straight up sinister without a ton of depth to them beyond that. And I think that there is still an argument to be made that that's Cersei's arc continuing uh, even through season seven, where she really is this darker character. But Jamie is somebody who's going to be rehabilitated to some degree. Tyrion is somebody who uh, you start off not really knowing exactly where he stands, but you spend enough time with him and kind of 
through his perspective that you know that he is a complicated character. Uh, but I think that that's one of the tricks that season one does pull on you is really make you think that the Lannisters are decisively the bad guys. And the show is going to, to muddy that notion a little bit moving forward. And I think that Littlefinger seizing on this opportunity is really uh, the great magic act here. But it it just it doesn't fit so neatly with where Littlefinger winds up. Uh, is I think something that you and I had been tracking in this season one rewatch and something we'll continue to track as long as Littlefinger is on the show, that if this is all like some sort of ingenious, like four dimensional chess that Littlefinger is playing and enacting um, and he's just going to end up getting killed by a total blindside that he should have seen coming is is disappointing. Uh, but I think that you are supposed to see um, as season four will bear out when you find out that it was Littlefinger and Lysa who, who got John Aaron and killed. I think you really are meant to believe that the War of the Five Kings stems from Littlefinger's decision to to bump off John Aaron. But the tricky thing for me is that such a big part of Cersei's character is that, you know, she is a true lion that anybody that threatens her family, she will come after. Here's John Aaron, whose investigation is getting closer and closer to outing her and Jamie and Joffrey, who is not a true heir to the throne. They'll be disgraced. They'll be thrown out of King's Landing and they will lose any claim that they have to power. John Aaron is in the process of investigating that. You have to imagine that they had some sort of a counter strike in play if they suspected that John Aaron was getting close. Now, did Littlefinger, you know, uh, was he able to suss that out and he sort of accelerated the plan and then he was able to control it and sort of like uh, frame them for a crime that they were planning but didn't yet commit? Interesting. No, that's an interesting that's an interesting possibility. Uh, I think that that's definitely on the table. I could see something like that or I could see it being that like the Lannisters didn't make the move. John Aaron is taken out of the equation by what seems to be, you know, a random act of luck for them. Uh, and now that it starts up again, when Ned Stark comes to town, I could see it being kind of like. We can't let that happen again. Like now we got to make our move. And that's kind of like the evolution of Cersei as Mama Bear, as a Mama Lion, uh, being really, really willing to do whatever is necessary to get it done. Um, but I, I think that, you know, starting it with John Aaron as kind of the epicenter of how this all moves forward. I do think that that's correct. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people you can blame for a lot of the bad things that are happening on Game of Thrones. And it's not that it's a, it's blaming John Aaron, but I think assigning him as the the match that was struck first uh, that lit the fuse. I think that that's probably correct. OK. Um, all right. Tons of questions from your friend and mine, Sir Brendan of House Fitzy, mm-hmm. uh, that we got to go through here that I think will be really fun. Uh, Brendan points out that you and I, Rob, we did not get to do a Throners for season one. Right. Uh, the, the Throners, of course, being the award ceremony that Rob and I put on after every season of Game of Thrones, where we hand out all sorts of awards to characters and episodes and everything. Uh, there was no podcast for season one at the time here on post show recaps so brendan would like it if we could give out a couple of throners uh you know retroactively here in season one are you prepared for this do you think that Absolutely. you can handle this yes all right so why don't we start with here i'll i'll run down a few uh 
Why don't we go with LVP to start? Who is the least valuable player of season one of Game of Thrones to you? Oh, and I boy. mean, we're not obviously there's no voting involved. So you and I, we're just we're just handing out awards here. We are total dictators here. We are the seven. We are the two in this uh, in this context. Yeah. Now, again, we don't have a lot of like wasted energy in season one. So I will say the person who I think that they feel the most tacked on and really did not add anything to the story and that we spend at least some time with, I'll say it was Theon. Ooh, LVP Theon Greyjoy. Interesting. And it's tough because I, I don't think that anybody is particularly bad in season one, but I feel like that he's the person that it just feels like, okay, we're just doing like uh, stuff that's going to be important for Theon later on, but he doesn't actually have a story in season one. Yeah, I think that it's the it's it like you're saying, I think that there's a lot of track that's laid for his season two storyline here. I think that having Fionn, um, you know, be uh, that moment in the forest, for instance, when Rob kind of just, uh, you know, throws some shade at him and. And that really echoes, you know, later on in the show when he and John are going to have a moment where John and Theon are going to talk about how Theon is both Greyjoy and Stark. So I like that a lot. And I think that what we get out of the Theon Greyjoy arc moving forward, you need this stuff in season one to really get you there. But your mileage may vary on whether or not we need a Theon Greyjoy arc at all. I think right. is, and is we a had fair point. Theon with Roz and Theon right. with Osha. And a lot of times it was, you know, similar subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, how about this? Like you'll pick an LVP, I'll pick an LVP, so on and so forth. So people can co-share awards this year okay. uh, if we have a, if we have a difference of opinion, at least, because I do have a difference of opinion with you. Uh, I'm going to say that the LVP pretty decisively for me is one Rick on Stark, because mm-hmm. uh, who is that guy? Who I almost is- feel like that he's even non-applicable. Like he, he <laughs> like he had so little to do to yeah, even call him. Makes- that makes him pretty unvaluable. <laughs> right. But he didn't eat up a lot of screen time. Right. But I think that the screen time he does eat up, especially in retrospect, like these are like seeds that are being planted for stories that never come to fruition at all. Right. Uh, you know, the direction that they ultimately take Rick on is uh, completely, you know, basically unnecessary. Like it makes you sad for Jon Snow when he rides into battle and, you know, is just going to miss Rick on by a minute. But like, I don't know, man, like everything involving Rick on Stark here where it seems like he can see the future or he can see in dreams. And he's so, uh, you know, he's so adamant about uh, Ned is going to die and he's not going to make it back. And there's no payoff to any of that. Just like, come on. Come on. Yeah. I don't know. I hate to say it, Josh. I think this is Rickon's best season. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Honestly, I mean, let's track that. Let's try and remember uh, for all the seasons that Rickon is involved in. Uh, if we can uh, if we can recall uh, if we can recall that at the point uh, that we do a feedback show at the end of all of these seasons, let's try and track Rickon's story. If somebody can remind us of that, I think that that would be great. Okay. 
Um, all right. So MVP. Um, and I think uh, I'll I'll start first uh, just because uh, you went first with LVP. MVP is is tough because like you're inclined or at least I'm kind of inclined to give the award to somebody who is no longer with us. And I think that there's a lot of different candidates that you could go with there. Like Carl Drogo, I think, would be would be a fun one. He's such a presence when he's on screen. This really is the Ned Stark show from start to almost finish here in season one. Um, I can see an argument for Bobby B for Bobby Baratheon. Mark Addy does such a great job as that character. But I really do think uh, Peter Dinklage is so great in Hmm. season one. Like, I think that he's so great all through Game of Thrones. Uh, but, you know, he wins an Emmy for this performance this year. Uh, the first of two that he wins along the way through seven seasons of Game of Thrones so far. Uh, I think that I think that the Dink getting uh, MVP from from me, I think that that's probably probably ultimately the way that I'm going to go. That story is just so much fun. And he just brings such a such a great performance to that, that I think that his work as Tyrion Lannister is one of the key ingredients for why Game of Thrones pops so quickly. I mean, he's great for me. I think that he is the big, big front runner to come away as the MVP in season two. But I would have to say that the person that really, you know, we have the show centered around for so much of it. I think it's hard to not say Ned Stark is the MVP of the first season. Yeah, I mean, he's terrific. He's terrific, but he's also everything he does is so bad. (laughs) Right, right. I I guess so. I I guess depends on how you want to define it. I mean, uh, that it's, you know, you could almost every single season say that Danny ends up, uh, you know, being that person who, you know, comes the longest way in the first season. But I just feel like that we only have one shot to give it to him. I feels like a missed opportunity to not have Ned Stark win the season one MVP. So I don't know that we have uh, an award for this usually during the Throners, but I think it would be fun if we handed out an award for uh, like a one shot character, right? Like a one season done in one character, somebody who's just here for a season and never to appear again. Uh, There's a few here in season one. We've mentioned a few of them already. Uh, Is there one that comes to mind for you that's just like your favorite one off character only appears in season one, maybe is referenced down the line, but is decided killed off or even just never seen again uh, through this first uh, beyond this first season of Game of Thrones. Boy, if there is somebody who spends all their time in this first season, I, I feel like uh, Kyle Drogo is that person for me here in the first season. Well, I mean, he does technically show up in season two, right? Like, I mean, if, if Ned Stark is off the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think Drogo being in season two, I don't know that I want that to disqualify him. Uh, he is such a Jason Momoa's turn. And it is we're recording this as uh, as Justice League has just arrived in theaters. Like, I feel like let's let's give this man a, a happy, a happy time right now. I know that, like, he's going to be really psyched. This will make his weekend man now. But I think that this will be the one to know that he won this freshly invented award on this highly listened to podcast. World renowned winter was here called drogo winning the best one-off character serial pharrell is also in the hunt for this as well i think no but he's coming back he's coming back he's coming back uh we like to do the best episode award uh typically we enjoy this one as well uh 
kind of probably has to be Baylor, right? Missy and Baylor, I think is uh, is the way love you got to go. That, yeah. Love you, Baylor. Like I think the I think the death of Ned Stark is such a huge moment that that elevates that entire episode really to the to the top of the pack. It's certainly at the top of my my rankings, which unfortunately I do not have in front of me. Maybe I should uh, should have prepped that before we before we got on the line here. I can re up those. Uh, I can update the rankings once we get through the season two premiere. Uh, but I think Baylor's probably got to be number one on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, incredible episode, and, and, and the most historic uh, TV episode I think of the uh, the entire maybe run, maybe between this and the Red Wedding. I think that those are the two like iconic like pop culture moments from people watching the episodes. What about uh, to the, the the Two Swords Award for Best On Screen Duo? Who's the best on screen duo from uh, from season one of Game of Thrones for you? Boy, uh, off the top of my head, uh, this is tough, but I feel like that we uh, have to give some consideration to Ned and Robert because they're uh, really great. But I feel like that this is a pair that we'll see a lot during the show. Tyrion and Braun is uh, is still really incredible. Yeah, they're really great. I I do think that they're so great in seasons two and three together as well that I would I would be I would be really happy with assigning this to Ned and Robert as well. Uh, You know, they've got they've got, you know, decades of friendship under their belt. These are, you know, two men that are whether or not they know it are at the end of their lives. We're seeing, you know, their friendship die and them as men die as well. Uh, And just the scenes between Sean Bean and Mark Addy are so great that I think Ned and Robert as a best on screen duo that works for me. I think that um, uh, I love King Gr- Robert so much, and I want to change I, my uh, <laughs> I want to change my answer from Carl Drogo to King Robert for the one season character. That's fine; they can co-share the award. I'm good with that. Uh, I was going to say, God. I think uh, Great John and Grey Wind as an on-screen duo that was pretty fun, right? That was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some yeah. bloody tough meat. Well, it's a great scene. <laughs> Uh, we usually we have the Red Wedding Award for excellence in horrible death. I think that that obviously is going to Ned Stark. I don't think that there's any competition for that. Uh, but if that was out of the equation, I think that you would have to take it to uh, Viserys Targaryen, I think, would have to be the next in line. Yeah, but is that a horrible death for somebody that we want? Like, I feel like that that award is for one of our heroes that we lose. Well, I think that that is uh, I believe that Arya killing Marin Trant in season five of Game of Thrones was the was the winner of this award once upon a time. And he was a the worst. Marin Trent stands. Yeah, I know, really. But I think that like he was like just the like the like the the, the most disgusting way that he goes out, just like right. getting stabbed in the eyes and stabbed repeatedly over and over again, I think was enough to push that far. So I think like a grotesque death is enough to, to push you forward. OK. Uh, but I think it's still Ned getting beheaded, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, two more. Uh, how about um, the the Blackwater Award uh, for best battle of Game of Thrones season one? There's not a lot of battles going on. So it's really just like best fight scene of Game of Thrones. Does that go to Khal Drogo uh, in his one and only battle <laughs> scene or do you think? Do you think that it's got to go to uh, to John saving Lord Commander Mormont or is it Bronze trial by combat uh, in the Vale? Is that the best? What about Ned versus Jamie? That always felt a little underwhelming. It, felt, it always felt like a little Star Trekky to me. No disrespect to Star Trek, but it like always felt a little bit like I don't know, like Kirk on a planet, like fighting, fighting a Gorn with a two handed yeah. uh, yeah. axe right. handle. 
it was just like the choreography of it always played that way for me where it's like obviously it's an important moment but like it just kind of plays a little like these are supposed to be like the best swordsmen you know or at least jamie has that reputation and ned never lets anybody see you fight and it's just such a big moment i don't know how could we how could we not even talk about people are screaming at us right now serio pharrell uh as the as the best fight scene yeah i mean it's not bad i guess that this is a low bar here in season one Low bar, low bar. So I guess take your pick. Uh, I'll I'll toss out the the brawn fight in the veil because it has such a great ending of he fought with honor. You know, like that whole moment after he tossed them through the moon door, I think is just spectacular. Um, the final one I think we should award is excellence in Hodor. Uh, probably has to be naked Hodor, right? Like, I don't think that it's a competition. Usually it's Hodor is often a top voter vote getter but i think naked uh naked hodor has to be king of the mountain here i mean especially when we compare it to uh lanky lancel <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh naked hodor is going to be the victor of the excellence in hodor uh award all right so that was your super fast yada 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 yara yara yard throners for season one of game of thrones how do you feel about that no dj sammy slayer tonight right it was basically uh incredible it was pretty pretty great um here's another here's another question that sir brendan of house fitzy had tossed our way uh he says fan fiction time how do things play out if john defects from the night's watch and joins rob's campaign in episode nine uh i think this is one of my favorite things that we're doing here across winter was here is just like mapping out alternate histories uh of game of thrones alternate timelines if somebody made one decision the butterfly effect where would where would things go if john had actually deserted castle black nobody's coming for john right and at that point if rob is going to be the warden of the north uh and the king of the north he's gonna pardon john snow here isn't he mm-hmm. sure so Jon Snow leaves the Night's Watch. He, you know, reunites with Jon's forces somewhere around the Riverlands. And then Jon Snow ends up being part of the forces. And again, maybe Cat like is the person that is like, uh, Rob, it is your duty to behead him. He deserted the Night's Watch. But I think that we end up seeing Jon Snow uh, be part of the Red Wedding. Ooh, yeah, he probably does die there. Does that mean he comes back to life? Does somebody does somebody mm. like does does uh, Melisandre, you know, show up at the red wedding and that gives new context to the to the name red wedding? I mean, I think it depends on your mileage for is he truly uh Zoran High and uh right. you know, if if it's his destiny to eventually get there. But I also think that we end up changing everything that's going on, you know, in terms of the battle at the wall and i think that also uh the wall and the you know the night's watch falls at the hands of mance raider probably right right um very likely i think you know john is the guy who goes and warns everybody about what happened there but i don't know still goes there yeah, Stannis, does he go there? Probably. He probably does still show up and, and takes out Mance Raider uh, if he's gotten the if he's gotten the notification of what's going on up north. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. the Boltons uh, still hold Winterfell. 
the Boltons still hold Winterfell and who's there to, to win the battle of the bastards. Nobody. Like if we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about a, uh, a possible season seven of game of Thrones where Ramsey Bolton, is he going down to Dragonstone although, to, to woo Daenerys? I don't think so. Yeah. Although then does, you know, Sansa, if she still escapes with Theon, does she just like the like, do they just follow her plan? Uh, but I guess there's nobody in it's like John's army. So I'm not sure if like the Knights of the Vale would just go to raid Winterfell. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think if John had gone to join Rob's campaign in episode nine of season one of Game of Thrones, it would have been bad for a lot of people. Uh, it's a good thing that he remains honor bound to Castle Black. I think that this is ultimately a great thing for mm-hmm. humanity at large, as well as many of our favorite characters. Not to mention who would lead the forces uh, beyond the wall from Eastwatch to go bring back that walker to show to Cersei. So uh, w- w- if that changed, then you know this whole plan would end up uh, going to hell uh so i we're kind of continuing a trend here a couple of people had asked that would actually be better if they didn't do that uh, that'd be fine uh a couple of people had asked us kind of about these alternate histories this one was from charlie uh who says i'm with josh on the love for yorin he's honestly one of my favorite characters even though he's not in the show for very long since the podcast focuses so much on things that have different implications what do you guys think would have happened if yorin hadn't gotten to Arya and she had been captured and stayed in king's landing so what do you think about this you know, Yorin of the Night's Watch is going to save Arya uh, at the moment that Ned Stark is executed. And that's going to be the start of everything that happens next for Arya. She's going to hit the road and it's going to take her forever to get to, to Winterfell. It's going to take her a very long time before she gets back home. If she doesn't even leave King's Landing, um, you know, it's, it was a it's a, it was a fascinating conversation that happened in season seven, actually, where Sansa and Arya are talking about how could the other have survived what the other endured? Would Arya have gone through the same process that Sansa had gone through? You got to imagine the Lannisters aren't just going to execute Arya uh, with Jaime being held hostage. They want all the collateral they can get. The thing is that Sansa was able to sort of like play the part a little bit. She has slips here and there, but she's able to sort of like, uh, yes, Joffrey, like, uh, yes, my queen, where Arya the whole time would have been like, uh, screw you, Joffrey, you son of a bitch. Like uh, she would have never even been able to sort of just like play the part of the, you know, nice and uh, like she wouldn't last at court. Yeah. And, you know, if Joffrey was going to, you know, plunge the realm into war uh, just kind of haphazardly at the, you know, at the beck and call of a roaring crowd, uh, I think that, you know, him throwing Arya off of the side of the Red Keep, like, doesn't seem so far outside of the uh, outside of the realm of possibility. But I think the other possibility, too, is, you know, the the Arya and Hound team up that happens uh, throughout Game of Thrones for seasons three and four. For I wonder if that happens a little bit earlier. Like we know that the Hound is going to run away from Blackwater. Uh, he's going to get you know freaked out and he's going to hit the road. Does he like scoop up Arya and go? And does that thing just happen no matter what? Does that relationship just get forged no matter what? Even if Arya isn't saved here, I don't know. He seems to have a liking to Sansa, but I'm not sure if he would have uh, felt the same way about Arya. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Uh, I'd love to get your take on a couple of these other, you know, uh, alternate possibilities of where is Game of Thrones if these characters are still alive? Where is Game of Thrones if Cereal Pharrell is still alive, Rob? Although I suppose it's in the people, same exact yeah, spot believe. that it is right now. <laughs> yeah, because Cereal is definitely still alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's already and, out there. Uh, and uh, yeah, that what what you you said it, what you're. At zero percent point one percent yeah i'm i'm i mean i guess i'll go like point one i'm at 50 percent josh (laughs) oh god why still are you seriously at 50 percent like do you really think that with six episodes left to go in game of thrones we could see serial pharrell return to the show yes because i think that the show uh producers have uh veered so much in the way of what would the fans be excited to see have happen that i think that they are they are all about giving you those moments oh that sounds awesome awful i guess it doesn't sound completely implausible too right in the same way oh it's it's uncle benjamin uh, uh i think that they uh there is a 50 50 shot that you see at some point uh jack and hagar slash Sirio pharrell end up saying like uh like i was watching you the whole time aria oh my good God. job i'm proud of you yeah that's gonna be a. That's going to be jumping the dire wolf at that point. <laughs> you know, that's going to be just a little bit too far. Yikes. Yikes. That makes me terrified. That's very, very scary. What about if, uh, you know, I'm making sense. I know it, it's, that's horrible. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, what about if Viserys Targaryen hadn't acted like such a shit and gotten molten gold poured on his head? Was he just getting, you know, the proverbial molten gold poured on his head, no matter what, like, was that going to happen somehow if it didn't happen in Vias Dothrak? Right, yeah, that nobody could stand Viserys. That uh, one way or the other, he just like accelerated his own downfall. What about Khal Drogo? If Khal Drogo doesn't die here, and he makes good, that's on the interesting his, one. Yeah, if he makes good on his promise to take Daenerys across the Narrow Sea and conquer Westeros, uh, I think with the army that they would be going with, which is like the full force of the Dothraki, that's probably getting beaten back, don't you think? Or is Westeros in such disarray that if they had showed up in that moment, it would have been just so chaotic that it would be hard to predict? Okay, so this is the complicated one because there are a bunch of other things that will have happened if that was the case. So, Danny gives birth to the stallion that will mount the world correct that's right do the three dragons end up being born right you know you probably you you think not right like if you really are attributing it to the funeral pyre and some sort of magical nonsense that happened there um you don't think that they're just going to hatch for no reason like they're going to hatch due to some combination of heat and blood magic and sacrifice uh and so i don't know what that is i think that the the dragon eggs are are just ornaments okay. still so mary mazdor you know we talked about her as uh, she had sort of like these ill intentions for Danny, but does she end up being the hero of the story? But basically, she ends up sacrificing herself at the stake. If she does, has some ability to see into the future, then is she only able to see the one timeline of like, okay, good, I avoided this this disaster of the stallion that mounts the world coming in and killing everybody. Whew. But she's unable to see, oh, actually, what's going to happen is I'm going to get burnt alive at the stake, and then these dragon eggs are going to 
turn into fire breathing dragons and then create all these other problems. And then one of them is going to get turned into an ice dragon by a bunch of zombies that are coming from uh, the north to kill everybody. I I, I might as well just like uh, I was better off with the stallion that mounts the world. I just have to say ill and pain intentions for the three people who are yeah. thinking that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I doubt that she's seeing all of that stuff. But Not I think that great that, a witch. Sure, sure, sure. But I think retroactively, I do think uh, her her doing what she did. You know, it's it's I think if we're talking about Drogo or dragons, you can choose one and lose the other. I think I'm losing Drogo every day of the week with respect to Aquaman. <laughs> yeah and then if uh Kyle drogo ends up being on seven seasons of game of thrones he's probably unavailable to do aquaman maybe he yeah, can do an so- x-man movie here or there but <laughs> <laughs> yeah he could be like the 14th actor to play colossus uh, i think would would work out what about if bobby b doesn't die what if uh what if robert baratheon stays alive a lot changes there right like you got to imagine that robert baratheon still being alive through the end of season one means ned was able to to tell him what was really going on yeah. with cersei and that joffrey were uh joffrey and tom and Mercedes were not Bobby B's kids. Well, if he uh, made so, one more episode, that right, would have happened. Right, right. So, like, really, you know, and then, you know, Jon Snow is going to learn everything. He's going to find out about what's going on with the White Walkers. Uh, you know, the Night's Watch will be able to come down to a Lannister free King's Landing and be like, hey, seems like some crazy ice zombies are, you know, gathering together north of the wall. Do you want to help us out? Ned Stark, Hand of the King, is like, hey, best friend, King Robert, I think that, you know, I'm taking my my uh, my bastard son's, uh, you know, word to heart here. It's probably something we should investigate and bobby b is like yeah you know you told me this other thing that was really important to let me know you saved my life i'm i'm totally down to see this out for a little while they march north uh they don't have dragons does everyone just get killed or do they kill the white walkers is the question well i don't probably know ru- probably rushing a little early into the white walker conflict so maybe it's not such a great thing maybe not such a great thing but i do feel like that robert would be more likely to head into the battle you know robert loves a war he's like a wartime king the problem is he's not a good peacetime king he just sort of right. like drinks and whores himself but if it was like we're going to war i love it i'm so excited wow uh, robert's resurgence right yeah. Like we could see like a, the like get in a, shape. Yeah, like a second win for Bobby B. Yeah, you see him slim back down. Montage. Like a, yeah, mo- take it to the limit. <laughs> One more down. for Bobby B. Pass the wall, it is for me. You gotta take it. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. Oh my god. The Him second and Ned are rebellion. like throwing like uh, like a dusty medicine ball back and forth in the in the red keep. Yeah. Grand Maester Picel is training him like Mickey, you know? Yeah. Come on, come on, Rob. You got this. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Bob, Bobby B running up the steps of the Sept of Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Oh, this is the best one. If, yeah. if Robert Baratheon survives season one, Game of Thrones is a totally different and really great show. Right. They're going to fight the uh, Mance Raider. They're going to fight yeah. the Night's King. Yeah, he might even show Mance Raider, not with Mance Raider, but Bobby B could have like, you know, he could fall in love again. Right. Because Cersei will be out of the out of the equation. Sure. There could be I don't know. There could be so much happiness in the future. He does a lot of whoring out on the warpath. Oh, my God. And whoring. That's his thing. Well, well, maybe it's like, you know, a redeemed Robert Baratheon who's like feeling like, you know, I find love. I'm like, I'm like a Rob Stark. 
right, I've been a bad king. I got to be a better king. You know, if if uh, they've cleaned house on the Lannisters, Ned Stark gets to go to Robert Baratheon. He's like, hey, come down to uh, to Flea Bottom. I'd like to show you something. And he reunites with his son, Gendry. You know, he has a true son. They get to reconnect. I love they it. Get- this is great. You know, so many happy endings if Robert Baratheon is still alive. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, we don't need to unpack that further. This might be a better uh, show. This is a great show. I don't know about a better show, but it's a really good show. Really I, good I, show. I, I, look, I love the idea of uh, the Bobby B show. It sounds like a fun show. Uh, what about some people if they, if they, if they did die? Like if, if Bronn loses the trial by combat, uh, Tyrion is going straight through the moon door right after him, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's it for Tyrion Lannister. <sighs> yeah, does he go through the moon door or does he go back into the sky cell? They want, you know, Robin wants to make the bad man fly. You know, is his mother, you know, going to deny right, him? But they the- lose all their leverage once they kill Tyrion. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, be a bad tactical move. I mean, not the first by uh, a Lady Tully, but you know that they that it would be a bad idea. I think that they would, at the very least. Uh, they would want to have the body, right? Like if they, if they drop Tyrion through the moon door, they lose like the evidence that Tyrion is dead. Like, I think at least they would want to send like his head back to King's Landing to show they mean business. Like that would also be like a really dangerous thing to do. Uh, but I think just tossing him through the moon door, then it's like, it's very, he said, she said, if Tyrion Lannister is truly dead. Because he ends up looking like a uh, pile of mush as opposed to Tyrion's body. Uh, what about if Bran dies, whether that's because he's pushed out the window and that is enough to kill him or the assassin shows up and takes Bran's life? Uh, no three eyed raven. Is the three eyed raven going to be critical moving forward, Rob? Well, let's see. Um, what does the three eyed raven ultimately do i don't think that we've really been able to feel the ramifications of like that you know we're sort of armed with some information but has any of that information been actionable other than say okay we need to kill Littlefinger because he uh knew like brand knew about the dagger Right. I think we're still really waiting to see what is the payoff with Bran's storyline. There's a lot you of like, Bran learning stuff that we, the viewer, knows, but I think we're still waiting for the ultimate payoff of Bran having all of this uh, insight and green sight. Yeah. Yeah. If Bran is if Bran is dead, then maybe we find out the Jon Snow stuff in a more elegant way. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Sounds like a positive to me. Uh, speaking of brand, this is from Jim Trainer uh, trying to ask about some possible endings for Game of Thrones. Jim Trainer writes, could Game of Thrones go full circle with brand firing a dragon glass arrow and hitting the Night King? Unlike his attempt to hit the bullseye as a kid at Winterfell. Uh, for those who have forgotten, because we are now 10 episodes deep into our rewatch, we are 11 weeks deep into our rewatch podcast one of the very first things you ever see from Bran Stark is him struggling to shoot an arrow at a target. Could we get some sort of payoff for that in the future of Game of Thrones, Rob? Do you think that we will find a scene in the future where Bran is successfully shooting an arrow at the Night King or at somebody or some sort of metaphorical arrow? Is that what's going to be fired? I don't know. I think that's an oddly specific thing to uh, call back to. So uh, I, I think I'm out on the Bran Stark shooting the arrow and hitting the target idea. 
Yeah, I think so, too. Um, reverting back to Sir Brendan of House Fitzy for a couple of final questions. Uh, Brendan asks, in this rewatch after this first season, whose arc are you most excited by that you weren't expecting to be excited by, given where they were in season seven? So rewatching season one, Rob, who are you really looking forward to tracking as we're moving forward through the rewatch that maybe you weren't anticipating you were going to be pumped up about? Do you have somebody that jumps out at you? Somebody who jumps to mind to me is I'm really I don't know. Besides I'm really Syria Pharrell. Aside from Mysterio Pharrell. Uh, no, I think that I'm I'm excited to see where things are going to go for for Jamie Lannister. Uh, I think that, you know, his arc has been one that has not been as great on the show as it is in the books. And I want if over the course of this rewatch to see, like, is it as bad as I remember it? Like he's going to have very little to do in season two. But season three is so great for him. Season four like has at least an issue, you know, a fairly, you know, significant issue. Uh, but season five is really maligned and season six is just all right. And what is he, you know, was season seven any better? So I'm curious to see if like, if it, if it really holds up in my mind as far as, uh, being as negative as sometimes I think of it as I'm, and I, I really liked watching him in this first season. I think that there's a lot that you get to go back and, and check out. Um, yeah, I think that he he might be might be the one for me. Yeah, it's a difficult question because I feel like that I think we have a pretty good, you know, uh, finger on the pulse of all of these different characters that we're keeping track of. So I don't know if there's anybody that still is in the mix this late in the game that we haven't been sort of like uh, anticipating what is going to ultimately uh, come up for them. So uh, it's a what difficult about, question to answer. What about Cersei? What about Cersei? You know, knowing that Cersei is going to go full mad queen uh and she is somebody along the way we have underestimated at certain points in terms of you know she gets told off and she's not as clever as she thinks she is but who's who's had the most recent laugh of the lannisters right where cersei seems to really be in charge there in king's landing and is even fixing to to betray mankind again in the future potentially is she somebody that we should be keeping a closer eye on i mean i don't know how we could keep a closer eye on her yeah, like we keep a really close eye on this show. Like, yeah. like uh, we that uh, I don't think that she's sneaking up on us. I feel like that we're, uh, you know, really focused on uh, what she's up to. Maybe Varys is somebody that, you know, uh, he's somebody that he's been with us from the start. And we don't have a really good sense of what his ultimate storyline is going to be and where he stands. You know what? And I think that this is a good way of kind of segueing us into just um, planting some flags before we get into season two material is I think Melisandre might be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we know she's going to show up in this next episode that we're going to talk about. She's going to show up in the season two premiere. She is going to say that Stannis Baratheon is the prince that was promised. He's the chosen one. He's the guy. He's the Lord of Lights man on the ground. Uh, and we know that is not the case. Stannis Baratheon is not going to make it very far ultimately in Game of Thrones. He is going to be knocked out of the picture by the end of season five. Uh, and Melisandre is going to sing a different tune by uh, season six. You know, she's really going to be pledging her cause to somebody else. And we know that Jon Snow is the guy to watch. Uh, Daenerys is somebody to watch as well. Of course, should we be paying closer attention to like Melisandre's prophecies through the lens of who we know them to probably more accurately apply to in Jon and Danny? Oh, you know, we will. We will be go- <laughs> going through every single one 
on. We'll record the audio. We'll play it and we'll talk about what each of them means and whether or not they've come true yet. That'll be fun. That'll be really fun. What else are you excited about in season two as we're starting to wrap up here, as we're starting to say good night to season one, good morning to season two, the sort of the morning uh, to season two. Which storyline are you most hot for and which one are you very, very cold on that you're not necessarily excited to, to revisit? OK, well, first off, I just in general, I'm really excited about season two. I don't think I've ever done a season two rewatch. I've never had a reason to go back and watch it. So a lot of this uh, material is going to be pretty fresh for me. I am most excited about Tyrion and everything going on in King's Landing. I think this is peak Tyrion coming up here in season two. So I'm thrilled about all of that. And I think that you called this out a couple of weeks ago that the Danny storyline in Karth has some problems. And that's probably what I am also the coolest on heading into season two. Yeah, I'm going to be curious if it's as bad as I remember, because I remember hating it. And I don't know if it was just because it was so different from the books. And that's what really bummed me out. Or if it's just bad, if it's just actively bad. Like once we start getting into like the freaking warlocks, like, come on, Uh, like Pyat Pre, like I'm not psyched to see Pyat Pre again on this show. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see all those like, guys. Yeah, like looking like he's just like been eating like the the bottom of one of those firecracker popsicles all day. Yeah. Like just like, you know, having eaten, eaten the blueberry part. Like, come on. It's not like, great. I'm just it's, not, it's great. not a great look. Not yeah. a great look. So not looking forward to that. I am looking forward to Blackwater. Blackwater is going to be super fun. Mm-hmm. Blackwater all, often talked about as one of the very best episodes of Game of and Thrones. An iconic and- image. It, uh, very much an iconic image. Yeah, we got to chart these iconic images as we go. You need to help me uh, further flesh out the uh, the iconic images. Uh, I need to update the gallery, Rob. OK. All right. Well, this was a great look back at where we were. And now uh, it's time to head into season two starting next Tuesday. Oh, my God. The night is dark and filled with terrors as we are as we are looking towards season two, our next stop on the board. One season down, one season down in the Game of Thrones rewatch. I am amped up about that. That's really fun. That's great. I'm very pumped up about that. Okay, Josh, for a hashtag here today, you like uh, young Eddard? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, young Eddard or young Bobby B. It's like the the new adventures of old Bobby B. Uh, but I think young Eddard is probably the cleaner of the hashtag. Though with 280 characters now, we can really go hog wild oh, or yeah. boar wild, as it were. Yeah, we can really go all over the all over the map, just like season seven of Game of Thrones. All right, yes, uh, Josh, great stuff. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. To you and yours as well, Rob. Very much so. I hope that uh, House Sesternino has a great time this Thanksgiving. Yes, I hope so as well, Josh. Of course, uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. Of course, plenty more to chew on over at Post Show Recaps. Uh, seven courses of podcasts being served there constantly. Of course, check out what Josh and Antonio Mazzaro have to say on Mr. Robot on the ongoing Season 3 coverage there. Yeah, we had a, a great Great, great podcast with uh, one of the writers of Mr. Robot for our most recent episode. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, in fact, five minutes from from now, as you and I are recording this, Rob, Antonio and I are recording a Mr. Robot feedback show, a a mid-season feedback show. Uh, So lots of Mr. Robot podcast coverage still going on here at Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash robot is the way to get all of that. Plus everything going on on The Walking Dead and Kirby Enthusiasm Saturday live and more over on postshowrecaps.com have a great holiday take care everybody have a good one bye bye